This is the Seattle Podcasters Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rigdon. On this episode, I have Jim Perry from the Euphemet Podcast. How are you today? Oh, so great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today about Seattle, about podcasts, about everything in between. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Could you tell us just a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, so Euphemet is an audio documentary show about the unknown and our relationship to it. We cover things that one might consider paranormal at first glance, uh, yet as you listen to the show and you dig deeper into its content and you listen more to the voices and the, uh, the, the personalities that we feature, you'll see that it's much more about the human dynamic, about things like belief, about things how, uh, how things that we can't quite understand uh, affect and can transform our lives. And so we are certainly on the fringe of material but it gives us an opportunity to explore the nuances of really human behavior and what our experiences are in, in a state of, uh, of unknowing. Yeah, I really think that's what makes your show unique. You know, there's a lot of shows kind of covering paranormal stuff, but not in the kind of the intimate way that you are. Like, it's just, it's very special. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I was, I was inspired a lot by, you know, old paranormal radio. I was a fan of Art Bell forever uh, in the 90s and stayed up way too late as a kid listening to that material. And it kind of affected me. Uh, <laughs> I'm affected in that way. Um, you know, but also uh, the Seattle podcasting scene. Uh, I, w- I was affected by that. I've always had a love for podcasting and for broadcasting even and had done that since I was a teenager uh, for local radio stations and things of that nature in the Oregon coast. Um but, you know, the first person that I talked to when I wanted to start podcasting in a serious way was uh, Jeff Edman of Here Be Monsters, which is a podcast that started here in Seattle. And uh, another podcast slightly about the strange and, and, and the unorthodox. And uh, it takes a little less paranormal way. Um, I go very deep into paranormal very quickly with my material. But, you know, I, I think podcasting is just a, such a special form of communication. And, and I kind of feel lucky that I got into it now uh, before everyone has a podcast, which I think will, will be a day that we'll see, you know. So how long have you been doing this show? Euphemet has been in existence in some form since 2014. Uh, I started it initially as more of a more of sort of a standard interview show, and I experimented with that format and started integrating uh, very short audio documentary pieces into it. And then in essentially 2016, I believe 2017, 2016 probably, I uh, created a live version of the show. And we were producing with uh, KHUH Hollow Earth Radio, which is a low-power FM station here in the Central District. I produced a show with them live and got to experience everything, uh, all, the, all the fun and, and danger and craziness that that was. Um, I have a few stories about the production of that version of the show that I can share that are embarrassing and self-effacing, but I don't mind. And uh, <laughs> essentially after that, I kind of took a break from all of it for a little bit. I was changing my career course. I was uh, focusing a little bit more on some of the things that I really, really wanted to do. And uh, Euphemet certainly fit into that. But I I knew to do it in the quality 
and in the consistency that I really felt it deserved, I had to take a step back from it. Uh, until, and apologies if I'm going way too in depth right now for what uh, one question was. No, no, this is this is great. Um, <laughs> I tend to expound when giving the chance. Um, in 2018, uh, Euphemo was actually purchased by a upstart podcast network. Uh, they purchased the the intellectual property and the back catalog and everything about it, and then they paid me to go and produce a season of the show. So I had done that last year and had produced 18 episodes and a completely refreshed, rebranded, reformatted Euphemet, which was entirely based on audio documentaries and entirely based on me being boots on the ground and living with folks sometimes for a week on end to capture their story. And uh, here I am, you know, about a year after that, uh, now hurriedly working on a second season uh, which again is uh, completely uh, independently produced. So here I am dealing with all that. <laughs> <laughs> and how many episodes have you produced? Do you know? I think in total, that's a great question. I think there's probably around, probably around 70, 75 Euphemet episodes in total. Yeah, all in different formats too. I mean, there's been 18 of this brand new format, uh, which is strictly audio documentary. And then I've most recently produced sort of a shoulder show, sort of a companion to season one, which was kind of a look back at the stories and, and some of the phenomenon I personally experienced during the taping. And, and that'll go for four shows before I kick into this second season, which is kind of a little bit of an undetermined amount of of shows at this point. And then uh before this relaunch from 2014 to 2017 or so, I think I probably produced around 55 or so Euphemet episodes in that format. And what motivated you to start this show? Well, you know, I I, I felt that you know, I was a big fan of This American Life. I was a big fan of Snap Judgment. I was a big fan of that form of audio storytelling. And I, f I didn't feel like it was really being done for paranormal topics. Now, the paranormal genre is huge in podcasting. It's huge in broadcasting. It's huge in every form of media. Uh, some of the most well-attended movies uh, are paranormal movies. Some of the most watched shows are paranormal shows. And I felt like in podcasting, no one was doing audio documentary shows on the paranormal at that time. And so I said, hey, why can't I do that? You know, um, often that's something that'll get me in trouble. I'll, you know, uh, be inspired by something. I'll say, well, why can't I do that before I really know what that entails? So, uh, you know, it's, it's been a very interesting ride uh, trying to adapt this content form into this genre, which people have like sort of built in expectations for. And at that point, you realize you're going to attract some of those fan, some of that fan base that exists. But really what you're doing is you're creating a, a whole new fan base. You're creating a whole new listenership for what you're producing. And, and uh, that is certainly something that just takes time and diligence and effort. And you have to work 
very, very hard at just doing something a little differently. And had you done any podcasting before this one? I had. I had done uh, guest spots on podcasts, and I had done a podcast with friends. Uh, I mean, in 2008 or something, or 2000, like, you know, there were a hundred podcasts on iTunes at that time. Like there was nothing. Um, and I was following stand-up comedy at the time. And I, I'm always been a voracious audio listener. And so I was a very, very early adopter to podcasting in general. And as these stand-up comedians were putting out their own work and it really began to grow into this, into this viable form that was fairly easily to publish and, and affordable, almost free to publish on, uh, I gave it a shot, you know, and that, that series was not serious. I actually don't even really remember what it was called. Uh, the highlight was, you know, hearing my soon to be wife eating chips loudly in the background. That was the highlight of the entire series, you know, uh, those little audio moments. Uh, so it wasn't serious, but what I had done before this was I was involved in, uh, producing at a very high level, uh, both video, graphic design, and content through agencies and marketing, and working with you know top 100 uh, global brands and producing content. So what I was familiar with was execution, was coming up with an idea and figuring out best way to execute and actually actually do it. So what that did allow me to do was really. Um, I don't know, see, see this project to fruition. You know, I spent a great time in my insight stage. I, get a, I, I spent a great time researching and having conversations with people and figuring out if it's something I really wanted to jump into because it was something that I, I felt could really change my life if I really did it right. And I felt that it was something that brought me much closer to the things that I really care for, um, which is broadcasting alone from podcasting. It's interesting. I, I thought a little bit about this before we chatted today. I thought about podcasting. I thought about the effect it has had on me and how it has maybe inspired me. But I have to say that I've been such a voracious radio listener uh, for someone my age in a way that may be kind of uncommon. Um, you know, I was, I grew up on the Oregon coast and in addition to Art Bell, you know, I would listen to Cairo and, and guys like Drake Collier and his nighttime show. I would listen to KGO and uh, in, in San Francisco, KGO AM 810. And so I was a huge fan of AM radio. I'm 35 years old. There's not a lot of 35-year-olds that grew up being voracious listeners to AM radio. Uh, so, so in that way, podcasting gave me an opportunity to talk about the things I wanted to, to display th th this, this, this audio theater for the mind um, without being in some huge studio in the Bay Area, you know, uh, without getting a job at Cairo. And there's something kind of special about that. Yeah. And what have been the biggest challenges of doing this show? Um, that's really interesting. I, I, think, I think consistency is is a challenge for me. You know, I think any podcaster will agree that it is one of the biggest tools you can use in 
not only maintaining an audience, but, but growing your audience's consistency. And you look at someone like Mark Maron, right? And he just, you know, just wrapped recently his 1000th episode, right? He's on like a thousand and two or something now. And like clockwork, he has always had episodes up on, on, on those right days. Right. And even more so sometimes during some weeks. So, you know, you look at, you look at folks like that, that can, that can produce like clockwork and, and get that material done. And they're in a very special place where they can devote their energy to that. Um, not everyone is in that space. And especially when you talk about audio documentary, um, one of the biggest challenges of the show, I think, was uh, myself and my producer uh, producing the first season of Euphemet, the, this reformatted Euphemet, last year, and being 100% completely consistent with all of our release dates. Uh, like clockwork, they were out exactly when they were supposed to be out for the entire run, for the entire season. Uh, that's a challenge when you're producing a show like this and you're doing it um, with with very little resources, right? Uh, without a huge network behind you um, with technology and studio equipment and things of that nature, uh, without uh, an assemblage of writers and producers and editors. Uh, it's a very small shop. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's really up to you whether you're going to put it out or not. Um, and I think for as important as it is, sometimes to me, quality will trump consistency um, nine times out of ten. I would, I would rather something of quality. If I have to be late, if I have to wait, I'll do it if it's something good and, and I can feel like I'm giving my listeners something of value instead of just something on time. And what have been your biggest rewards of doing this show? Oh my gosh. I've, <laughs> I've traveled everywhere now, you know, uh, for my show, I get the opportunity for really intimate access to some of the most spookiest places in the world. Um, and that's been, that's been life changing. Um, I'd say that in addition to producing content, being an entrepreneur, travel is my number one thing to do in life. And so finagling a way <laughs> to construct this show in a way that it requires me to be in these physical locations is uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't feel luckier. In addition to that, making some excellent friends uh, along the way and co-collaborators you know, it's it's put me in this place now where I have the opportunity to talk to people like you and talk about my experiences in this field and, and share what maybe I've picked up along the way. And uh, that's really special. And that's that's a that's a spot I think that a lot of folks clamor for and would really give anything for. And I have some of that, you know, and um, yeah, it's it's. It's super special and I wouldn't trade anything for it in the world. This is kind of the part where we transition to more of the technical aspects of podcasting. So where do you host your files? I host all my files through my ad network, Audio Boom. Um, they have been with the show since I was originally picked up by the fledgling podcast network, which was uh, Skylark Media. Uh, they entered a relationship with Audio Boom. 
to sell all the advertising for the show. Uh, Audio Boom is not too dissimilar to mid-roll and things like that. It's a audio network that produces original content as well as, you know, a back-end network for podcast hosting for um, select podcasts, essentially. Uh, so that, that arrangement works really well for me. Uh, in addition to them hosting all my files, uh, they give me all of that sort of uh, back-end advertising support that I require, and it really kind of closes the gap for me where I'm not dealing with a lot of different providers. And they give great technical support too and are kind of, I don't know, have seemingly been very responsive. And I feel like I have a team with those folks, which is really great. And you do things that are kind of unique. You go out and you're doing field recordings, but you also do do things kind of in the studio. Yeah. Um, what kind of microphones do you use? Yeah, I, I thought you would probably ask this. Um, I use, uh, for my field recording equipment, I use a XLR-equipped Rode shotgun microphone uh, for my field microphone. I just use one of them. I, I haven't messed with using two or anything like that. I like having the control of just it being an extension of my arm essentially and me focusing on where I'm, sh- where, where I'm capturing just uh, via that way. Um, and then I use a, uh, a standard uh, zoom recording setup. Um, it is not the newest zoom, but it's the, the, the one, the, the previous incarnation of it. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this, this one. Um, and then Hmm. What do I use for studio? I use a, uh, I use a focus, right? Scarlet, uh, for my, uh, for my audio interface. And again, it's just the, the dual input for this one. And I use the Shure SM7B as my studio microphone, which, you know, I tried, I tried several out. I, uh, was back and forth on kind of which direction I wanted to go. I did know that some of my favorite podcasters use the Shure SM7B, and I like I like the analog uh, sonic nature that it provides. Uh, I'm a huge fan of it. I, d- I don't think I'd ever really change my studio microphone for anything. I really love the contrast it gives me between my field recordings and my studio recordings, and for my show in particular. I really need that contrast. I really need my field recording voice to sound like I'm in the field and to sound different and unique from my studio microphone so that the studio microphone, uh, without a lot of mixing levels and and changing its audio signature, uh, sounds like a voiceover, sounds like the voice of God at some points, right? Uh, So I like that. I I like that combination. I'm, I'm, I'm really into it. So do you ever do remote interviews where you're not necessarily face-to-face, like over the internet, maybe over the telephone? Yeah, I used to do those a lot. I don't do them really anymore. Uh, when I did do them, I would, u- I would use things like Zencaster and Zoom and Skype, of course. Uh, I, I have sensed a trend of a lot of, fo- a lot of folks not using Skype anymore. I hope they're not a sponsor or anything, but uh, <laughs> uh, I've... I've moved away from using Skype. If I had to do it again, I'd probably use Zencaster or or Zoom for everything I do. Uh, I like the ability for it to 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 natively record the conversations and, and and typically both sides of them, 
which is very helpful in the edit, as you would know. Yeah, very easy to sync these things up. And uh, yeah, when I would do it remotely for my live show, or when I would do it in studio for my live show, it would it got a little complicated. Uh, it was it was a fun process to figure out how to put together a mix minus, you know, and use a use an audio board for that, and and a multi channel mixer. And that was fun. I mean, I liked the control it gave me. I liked the ability to mix in music and uh, the phone conversation and uh, pre-recorded elements. And at some points, I would even mix in like a phone conversation with the Skype conversation and things of that nature. And so I got like pretty complicated with a pretty small setup at that time. Um, But there was something fun about that. I don't know if I'd want to do it again, <laughs> um, especially since this combination of, of using field recordings and uh, finally, finally editing this stuff is, uh, I think, where the show has really found its legs. And what software do you use to edit? I use Adobe Audition. Uh, I think one of the reasons I like using Audition, it, you know, it, it has its setbacks, of course. And of course, it's, you know, when you start talking online about what audio software you use, it's gets very heated very quickly. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> People are very, very opinionated usually on this matter. Uh, but with an audition, listen, I'm, I'm an Adobe person. Um, when I'm not working on Euphemet, I'm designing or I'm putting together layouts. And I've used Adobe products since I was 11 years old, right? So... 35 i've been in the adobe user interface uh for a long time for some people's lifetime tragically uh so it's a space i'm familiar with and it's very easy for me to move around and work with so in that regards i i i like audition for that so you're doing a very very highly produced show how long would you say it takes to edit one episode Oh boy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) a long time. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. It, it, of course it depends on how much tape we have and that varies sometimes. Uh, if it's a feature I'm going into and I know exactly the story I want to cover exactly the beats I want to hit and I do a good job of archiving my tape and cataloging it right after I, right after I tape, then it's a lot easier and a lot faster. And it's, I don't want to say it's paint by numbers because it's not, because there's a lot of minutia still, and there's a lot of hunting and pecking, and there's a lot of editing that goes into that. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're constructing or we are framing narrative, right? So even if someone comes out and describes uh, the event that happens or their reaction to something in fine detail, you know, we're usually still going through and, and uh, finding better ways to phrase what they've said, you know, while keeping the integrity of what is there. Uh, you know, we produce for clarity of, of this stuff. Um, with audio, there's a lot of things. With audio storytelling, there's a ro- lot of things that can go wrong that you can even subconsciously put people onto a completely different path than what you intend. Um, I'm not uh, opposed to uh, being abstract, 
But with the material that we cover, it in itself is so abstract, is so undefinable sometimes, that the only thing we have is the narrative, is the human narrative that can allow people to, to, to have some sort of uh, grounded nature to the content, right? So we, we have to be pretty clear and deliberate with how we're telling the stories, how things are coming across. And so in that way, if, if I've done an episode where I have a lot of tape, uh, where maybe the story was forming, maybe I was finding the story when I was on location with those folks, then I'm going through a lot of tape at that point. And I'm breaking things into scenes, typically. And I'm seeing if there is any similarity, if there's a way to pair different types of audio for certain scenes. Um, and I'm just going through the process. So to answer your question, long story short, it takes anywhere from eight hours to 24, maybe more. Um, 48 <laughs> it takes a long time for some of these episodes. It takes a very long time. And where do you find your guests or subjects? That's a great question. I have the privilege of being a fan of paranormal stuff for a very long time. And so I think I've probably forgot more about the paranormal than a lot of people even know about it. Just, just from osmosis, right? I mean, you listen to, you know, I still listen to old episodes of Art Bell, like archive stuff. I d There's a lot of guests that are out there. There's a lot of stories that are out there that I just know inherently. That I go, oh, th this, this person with the, you know, wizardry. Or this person with the, you know, so there's a lot of that that I can go back to. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, I, I, I do a really good job, I think, of even when I don't want to listening to a lot of different podcasts and radio shows uh, to see what fresh stories are out there. And then I, I read a lot about this material. I read all the time. I'm always reading a book or two books or three books um, because there's, there's so much that is uh, really undisco undiscovered in terms of uh, telling these stories in, in, in new, interesting ways for a podcast that are out there. There's just so much content to be, to be mined. Uh, so many stories to be found. And then honestly, some of the best stuff is recommendations is when you have a feature and they can turn to you and say, Hey, listen, I've listened to the entire series. I feel like I know what my feature is going to sound like and what you need from me. By the way, you should go see my friend who, you know, has this story here. And, and typically those folks are spot on. And I would say about the ha half of the get, the, the guest features that I had for the first season were recommendations. And so that's, that's very helpful as well. Do you have any advice for people doing interviews? I mean, you've talked to people about very sensitive and personal topics. Yeah. Well, I, I always go in with, I always go in with some expectations for what I want to get. And then I'm very mm, loose with myself on how I get that and when. Because sometimes it just takes time and you can't get what you need. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you have to really experiment with 
how you're asking certain questions. And I'll usually open interviews with, with something a little bit of facing about myself, a personal story, an anecdote. I'll try to relate to the people that I'm talking to immediately. I want them to feel, above all, comfortable with me. I want them to feel that they can share things with me that maybe they can't with others, that I'm not going to judge them, that I'm curious and I'm excited about their story and I'm respectful with their story. And then I want to do it justice. So even when I have to dive deep into questioning and ask questions that maybe are a little uncomfortable, and that, that happens for sure, especially when you're talking about tragic events, especially when you're talking about shameful things, right? That maybe they're uncomfortable sharing. Uh, I do it from a place as a friend and I do it from a place where, you know, and, and, you know, very, uh, overtly I'll assure guests sometimes that, listen, sometimes I'm asking a question like this because I really want to tell your story appropriately. I really want to do it justice. And so I think the listener may need to hear this or that. You know, I, I think they would want to know this. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll approach it in a collaborative sense, um, in a respectful, collaborative, friendly sense. And I'll ask dumb questions, too. I'll ask a lot of dumb stuff. Uh, and sometimes you just have to do that, right? Especially if you don't know what story you are going to find. Sometimes that dumb question reveals an entirely new avenue that you've never you never even thought was there. Um, what do you mean you see dragons? You know what I mean? Like, ah, oh, I'm so glad I asked that dumb question. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll approach it with that. Um, I think for on-site interviews, I, I try to, sometimes I try to get them to do something. I think when I get the guest to do something and it relates to the story at hand, if they're showing you something, if they're describing a situation while also uh, sort of going back to what they were doing at that time. Um, I don't know what the sort of scholarly view of that is. Uh, I know that for collection, collecting action tape uh, for audio or video, that it's very helpful in taking these folks back to that moment. And it helps you tap into an emotionality, I think. And a connection to these things that they're talking about that is more real and more raw, perhaps, than what you'd get if they were just sitting on a couch. Um, selfishly, I have this sort of like inside joke. It's not very inside now, but I, I've shared it with guests. You know, if 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 I'm if I'm seeing the um, if I'm seeing their eyes get a little wet. Honestly, if I'm seeing their eyes get a little crystalline, you know, then I know that I'm, I'm starting to tap into something that is emotionally very connected to them. Um, it's pretty often the people, the people break down, the people cry on the show. And that to me uh, can be very important. Now, you don't want to approach it from like sort of a melodramatic sense, right? But I think there's something about connecting these folks to their to the to the most truthful emotions and allowing them a space to be as comfortable 
to, to, to openly show that type of emotion, that type of vulnerability that will translate to tape, that will let the listener, you know, connect to those people in, in such a great way. And so if I can make people cry, that's always a good, it's <laughs> always a good thing. Do you have any advice for folks that maybe are just starting out or even just thinking about starting a podcast? Yeah, I would, anyone who's thinking about it, I would suggest just do it. Just jump into it. It doesn't have to be perfect right away. This doesn't have to be the thing that skyrockets you an iTunes chart. You should go into it without any expectations at all and just create. That's my advice creatively for anything. Go in expecting to work hard and expect nothing. Just do it. Just do the work. And within the work, you'll start getting those rewards. And if not, then that's a sign maybe you just need to pivot. Maybe you need to do something else or not. But you don't know unless you just do it. So jump into it. It's easy. It's affordable and cheap to enter into this. As you get along, as you go into it, it's none of those things. <laughs> right? The further you get along, it only gets... It only gets harder in some sense if you're doing it right. And um, it's going to take more of your time and more of your intent and more of your money. But, you know, you don't know if you don't try. And so I would say just anyone that is entertaining the idea, just jump into it and, you know, listen and learn and be open and listen to things like your show. Uh, listen to other podcasters that have done it before and don't be afraid of it. And do you yourself listen to that many podcasts? I listen to so many podcasts. Yeah, so many. And um, very different formats, you know, uh, different topics. Uh, some of the podcasts I listen to feel like work because I'm involved in not just podcasting, but marketing and the entertainment industry. And I mean, I'm even involved in pro wrestling, right? So you know, some podcasts feel a little bit like work, but I still listen to them. I'm still just such a vor voracious listener uh, that, you know, not too dissimilar to a lot of podcasters, I think. Um, if you go into my podcast app, you know, you're scrolling for quite a long time with the amount of podcasts that I've subscribed to and listened to routinely. And how do you discover new shows? That's a good question. Usually through recommendations. Yeah, usually if someone points me in that direction... You know, I will look at sort of what's trending, what's new, but, you know, I, I also kind of will do that in, uh, I don't know, seemingly in installments, you know, I'll be into some stuff for a while, I'll digest that, and I'll say, what else is out there? And then I'll subscribe to, you know, six or seven or eight different and new podcasts that I've never maybe listened to. And then I'll give that some time and some attention. And uh, needless to say, all this stuff still sticks around in my phone, right? And so I'm jumping back and forth between, you know, uh, podcasts that I routinely listen to and whatever is new out there. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in, of course, like many podcasters and uh, formatting, you know, I get geeky about that kind of stuff, about, uh, you know, even even things like, Oh, who's advertising right now? Uh, and what kind of shows are they advertising? Um, of course, always looking out for guest potential. Um, that's a good thing about paranormal is that uh, considering there isn't really 
I mean, there really isn't any other audio documentary paranormal podcasts. Uh, you can listen to paranormal podcast guests and say, oh, that would that would make a really good audio documentary, you know? And I am for sure it's never been done before, right? So, uh, yeah, that's how we discover podcasts. Just, I think, how everybody else does. Do you keep up much with the uh, podcast industry news? I do. Uh, I went to, uh, last year I even went to Podcast Movement. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, in full transparency, I spent a lot of time worrying about industry stuff when I was in marketing and advertising full time. And I feel like you can kind of get, you can kind of get swept up about it. Um, my entrepreneurial uh, intent and skills and, and, and where I want to go with some of my small business ventures are in different industries. And uh, I think I spent enough time like kind of monitoring what some of those business uh, trends are in those fields. And for podcasts, Podcasting for me and Euphemet is a little bit of an escape from that. You know, I feel like uh, I want to be cognizant of these things, but I also don't, I don't want to get I don't want to get too wrapped up by it because there are um, pitfalls to that. I think there are so many reasons and excuses and trends and forecasts out there you know, that will convince you not to do this anymore or, Hey, you know, like wait for this Spotify thing or like whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's some of us just too much for me. So like, no, I, I don't keep <laughs> up as much as maybe I even should on it, but I'm just, you know, I'm too busy. I'm too busy creating, you know, my, my intent is like, I would rather be researching, you know, this next podcast series or what these next episodes are or figuring out how to better tell these stories than to, to really focus on, uh, you know, corporate acquisitions or what Wonderman's doing or whatever else. So where can people find your show? They can find Euphemet uh, anywhere they listen to podcasts, any aggregate app out there. I recommend Apple, Apple podcast um, just for stat sake. Uh, for folks to comment and rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. But they can find it E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. And you can find it at Euphemet on all social media platforms and at euphemet.com. We also have a Patreon that we launched recently. That's patreon.com slash euphemet. Uh, there is actually where I post all of my archive episodes. And so like I said, I've got 40 or 50 archive episodes of interviews with thought leaders and short documentaries and things of that nature that I'm putting up there for euphemia, for euphemia patrons and uh, some exclusive first looks and things of that nature. So it's cool. We're creating this nice little community over there of sort of hardcore listeners and supporters. And it's things like that, that allow independent promotions like euphemia to uh, really flourish. And for me to even be considering kicking off a season two right now. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.